Hi, Michaela. Hello, Steve. So today I'm going to be asking you more viewer questions related to the theme of intimacy and the erotic. Great. The first question is, what is the journey to a full body, heart fulfilling orgasm? Is love essential for it? Mm. Oh, that's a nice question. Okay, let me start somewhere else and then make my way towards that question, right? Because uh, in general, when we look at pleasure and all the kind of uh, systems and principles that are involved in having full body pleasure, there's different aspects that we can look at, right? So most people, when they think of orgasm, they just think of a special technique or a certain way of um, touching the body or certain toys or certain partners, certain positions that give them sexual pleasure. And that's certainly true, and that's certainly a whole area of exploration. I think we'll talk probably at some point more about that because we had some questions about that. So when we look at full body orgasm, we're looking at more than just skill or touching certain spots. Because it's full body, we're looking at the body being both sensitized as well as having a certain conductivity that allows for pleasure to be felt everywhere. And that's a really interesting exploration because of course, full body orgasms can be reached in other ways than in sex. And, uh, you know, many people do have what they call full body orgasms during different occasions than sex, like in nature, for instance, right? Or while doing spiritual practice or while dancing or things of that nature. So when we look at that kind of idea of the entire body becoming alive and um, you know, enlivened and pleasurable and ecstatic, we're looking at what makes the body ecstatic, which I think is really uh, kind of an interesting exploration in general, what makes the body ecstatic, what, what makes us that lit up and that open. And so there's a few components to that. And the first component, of course, is the body in itself and embodiment. And then the next component is the activity that brings on that particular, you know, really just beautiful opening. And then also, um, as the questioner is asking, the love aspect, the heart aspect. And, and then there's a you know, a, an aspect beyond that kind of an X factor, because some people uh, report that they sometimes have these full body experiences without any warning or anything that they are doing, which can also happen. So, but when we look at the body, um, what we're looking at is essentially the energetics of the body being such that that's possible. And, uh, and, and I want to say about that, some people have it spontaneous or some people have experiences that are brought on by other people. What we are talking about now is being able to kind of reliably and joyously um, have that experience by yourself or with your chosen partner in, in the way you want to. So where you actually are able to reproduce that and it's not that thing that just happened out of the blue. So for that... Uh, the body has to be somewhat open and the body has to be um, having some kind of an ability to conduct energy throughout the entire body. 
And so when people talk about uh, sexual yoga, right, or yogic, um, yogic sexuality, they often talk about um, the systems, the energy systems in the body. And in different traditions, there's different ways to look at that. Um, typically, it involves channels, and uh, sometimes it also, you know, involves meridians. And there's there's kind of energetic systems that are described by different traditions uh, that play into that. So in the kind of sexual yoga world, often there's a lot of heavy breathing involved or specific breathing to uh, certain areas in order to open channels, so to speak, right? And some people uh, squeeze sequences of, um, you know, locks and things like that. Uh, but if you don't want to down that route of, you know, very formal practice, the thing to know and the thing that um, is very easy to engage with is that there's essentially a central channel through the body, energetically speaking, that you can um, feel quite easily when you sit or move where there's either contraction or openness kind of through the center of the body. And it kind of runs uh, parallel to all the areas of the body that tend to get somewhat clenched. So without going into too much detail, uh, when we look at the front line of the body and then behind that kind of on the inside of the body, we are looking at areas that tend to get somewhat contracted. And one of the reasons they get contracted is because um, as uh, humans, we are mammals and as mammals, we have um, all the organs, you know, essentially behind the front surface of the body, but we're the only creatures who are not protecting that, you know, all, all other mammals uh, lean forward and they protect the soft front surface of their body. And as most people know in dogs, right, when they go submissive, they show the areas that um, would be easy to attack the soft areas. And we show our soft areas all the time. So we typically have um, areas of clenching and protection around those in general. And then, of course, if we've been hurt or if we had injuries or things like that, those clenches and areas get even tighter. So um, you don't need to know much about, let's say, you know, the channels and the chakras and all of that. You can just feel where in your body is tension and clench. And typically it's on the front line of the body and then behind that kind of on the inside the, the solar plexus and you know all the way up the head and down into the perineum so that area when it's tight for whatever reason uh clenched protected injured um bad posture uh you know pain from from some loss or grief you know all of that kind of goes into that area and the, the tighter that area goes and the more clenched it goes, the less conductivity there is. So that's one thing. And then, of course, when you engage more in yogic sexuality, you're looking at certain locks. There are certain areas in the body, you know, the throat, the solar plexus, and then on the base of the body where, with the pelvic floor where uh, we can hold too tightly or not tightly enough, right? Where there the energy can leak out or the energy can get stuck. So that all said, 
um, when we look at full body pleasure, what we're looking at is, is our body open enough that the pleasure can rise from, let's say, the genital area up through the body and out the arms and down the feet and up into the head. And one of the things uh, that anybody can do is kind of look at the areas where a clench could happen and start um, playing with relaxing those areas, both actively relaxing, massaging, or, uh, you know, getting a massage. Um, some people like to kind of dissolve tension when they meditate. Other people do uh, specific exercises or yoga or breathing. We, of course, in our courses do nonlinear with people, nonlinear movement method with people, which is a, which was actually based on the central channel practice originally. Uh, many, many years ago when I started developing it. And that all allows those areas to open. And then as we, be it also allows the body to sensitize when you do that. And then you can feel where there's further contractions and where you might have a little bit of extra attention, like getting massages or somatic work, or just uh, put attention there yourself so it can be relaxed. So that's one thing. Um, and that's very important for all things pleasure is that particularly the midline of the body and particularly the areas you know, of the solar plexus and the belly and the pelvic floor are at least able to relax on occasion and able to open up so that not only energy, you know, we're talking energy, but we're also talking blood flow and all the things that happen physiologically to the body so that we have, you know, aliveness and arousal and pleasure in the entire body. So that's one thing that kind of needs to uh, be established for full body pleasure is a, uh, is an a body that can open. It doesn't always have to be open. We're all having moments of stress and tension and pressure and all of that, but um, it needs to be able to open. And for anything that uh, can be reliably opened, you have to have a certain amount of practice, meaning you've done it in some way enough so that you can relax when you want to, or you can um, be pleasurable when you want to. So that's the one piece. Then, of course, the next thing is technique, so to speak, right? So when people talk about orgasms and they talk about sexual pleasure, there's a certain amount of technique involved in the sense that you um, have to explore your own body and know what actually um, lights you up, turns you on, gives you pleasure in the more specific genital areas. And um, it's always good to do that and always good to explore ways to have more pleasure of the sexual kind. And then there's, of course, also sensual pleasure, which um, I talk about a lot because it's one of those overlooked areas that when you are allowing your senses to be involved in your uh, you know, pleasure experience, you're really amplifying and potentiating what's happening towards full body pleasure because your five senses are, of course, the access to uh, incredible perception and aliveness and pleasure. And so within skills there, uh, you can learn how to um, touch your own body and also you can learn how to touch your lover's body in ways that brings more pleasure and expands the pleasure. And 
that's also very, very important. And then the last part of what this um, question was about is, do I, um, you know, is, is love involved? And I would say the answer is yes, but love doesn't necessarily have to be love for that partner, even though that's also very nice because the, the love for a partner and the love for the person uh, you are with, of course, adds a whole other dimension to pleasure because there is, of course, this beautiful feeling of your heart opening and softening, which in itself is kind of, sometimes you hear people talk about the heart gasm, right? That, that moment when your heart just opens and, um, you know, often there's tears that come with it, tears of joy or tears of love. And, and it's this gooey, warm, incredibly pleasurable feeling of your heart opening and the heart opening once again there's a guarding that we all do because we've all been hurt and also it's important to not open oneself to people that you don't want to open yourself to for and you know various reasons but when that when the heart opens and that what i mean by that is it's always good to love but sometimes a certain kind of a relational aspect is not possible or not advisable. So then we have to kind of protect ourselves somewhat. But that open-hearted love and that kind of um, connection to another human is incredibly precious. But when that's not there, there's always the love for all, you know, the love that the, the universal love essentially, the love of love itself, um, the love that we are, the love that we have for the divine, right? Um, you, you hear these beautiful poems, you know, that have been written for many, many centuries about the beloved. And the beloved there is the is the big, the beloved with a big B, so to speak, the, the, the divine beloved. And having that orientation towards the divine beloved in the middle of both sensual, sexual, and full body pleasure is definitely worth exploring because there's a whole other dimension and a whole other um, possibility there of an openness and a transcendent, um, really just incredible, uh, you know, openness that's worth exploring. So should one cultivate love and, um, you know, as part of that exploration, I think it's well worth it. I'm wondering if you might say something a little bit more about these locks. You've mentioned locks that can release or contain energy. I'm wondering if you might say something about that. And also part of the question was talking about, as you pointed out, heart fulfilling quality. And I know it's the case that in certain practices uh, in this area, the heart is actively recruited and uh, actually brought in deliberately, uh, feeling the heart, etc., meditating on, on the heart and so on, is brought into the erotic uh, encounter. So I'm curious uh, what you think of those kinds of practices and, and what role they might have in the context of what you've said. Yeah, I mean, of course, both you and I, when we teach together, right, um, very strongly encourage the heart and uh, the connection through the heart before you even go to the erotic, simply because it's very important to keep uh, the entire interaction uh, anchored in a consideration for oneself and the other through the heart, right? And through that 
um, compassionate uh, and loving center. So I think that's super important. And I think it's, um, you know, something that you can't skip. Otherwise, you're just rotely doing sex or, or using your partner to fulfill a certain kind of a desire you have to experience certain things. So um, we very often when we do any kind of couples work, you know, in workshops, as well as in, in our private sessions, really lean heavily on feeling one's own heart, feeling um, one self as love, and then feeling the other person and connecting like that and connecting body to body, heart to heart, eye to eye, as a means of making sure that there is that really strong um, orientation towards love and kindness and compassion and understanding, which is important because once we start involving somebody else in our pleasure and um, sexually, there is of course a huge margin for error and failure and them not doing it right and disappointment and all kinds of things that have to do with our patternings and our expectations and our skill level and the other person's skill level. So it's always very, very important. And of course, the way I was taught um, in, you know, in various ways, both in the psychological and in the yogic ways, it's, it is the thing that comes before you go into the erotic and it has a devotional quality to it. So um, it is very, very important. But when we look at full body orgasm, sometimes there isn't somebody else involved right, where you don't have to um, connect with a partner when you're practicing and when you're kind of engaging in that. So then it's more the universal love and the universal devotion and the universal um, ability to be love as a body, so to speak. But when another person's involved, that's super important. And then as far as the locks go, uh, there is you know, very specific ways um, the body holds energy, so to speak. And we kind of know that because we are um, at the effect of that mostly when we do things like you and I are doing right now, meaning we're sitting and we're thinking and talking. And when we're, you know, kind of doing things that require that our brain and our mind and our mouth and you know the upper part of the body is very focused and very directed then our energy of course has to be used for that it has to do with energy conservation in the body and what that typically means is that we pull available energy from the base of the body where it's not needed at that moment because we're sitting in a chair we're not walking things of you know we're not doing anything with the lower body so there's a certain kind of a tightening and the squeezing up um, and the you know pressure in the lower body in order to use all that energy for thinking and doing and when that happens more often than the other thing, which is pleasurable full body engagement, then it becomes a habit pattern. And so then we are habitually um, pulling up, squeezing up, uh, locking it all in so we can use it, which is why a lot of people at the end of their day have tight neck and shoulders and you know, clenching jaw and pressure in the forehead because wherever you know energy 
is located, it will pool and you're holding it there. So with locks, we do it automatically, so to speak, right? We often, when we get frightened or when, when we're stressed or when we need the energy, squeeze the base of our body unconsciously, but sometimes even consciously. And we also squeeze our solar plexus as a means of kind of pushing through or uh, using our will to get stuff done. And those are natural locks that exist in the body. The throat's another one. Sometimes you hear people, they get very hoarse or they, you know, they have a very hard time speaking up for themselves because they're very contracted here. So, you know, it's energetic as well as physical. So these, these are apparent locks in the body that we are all aware of. Um, and of course, you can use them and you can train relaxing those areas. And the more you kind of give the body authority to regulate, which is one of the big things when we talk about rewilding and coming back to what you know our body is capable of doing, our body actually knows how to activate these locks and also knows when to let them go. But we're typically habitually clenched. And the problem with some of these yogic sexual practices, how they're often taught nowadays, is that um, you say this very nicely, right? You say tension, tension over tension, right? I think the line you're thinking about is actually a quote from one of my teachers, my yoga teacher, Godfrey Devereaux. And he says, uh, papering tension over tension to give the illusion of openness. And sometimes he talks about that in the context of the breath. Sometimes breath practices or breath systems, they valorize a deep breath. The idea is that it's good to have a deep breath and so on and criticize shallow breathing. There are many reasons why people breathe deep and shallow. One thing to say is that one doesn't always need to breathe that deeply. One doesn't always need that much oxygen. So one of the reasons one might not be breathing deeply all the time is because the body doesn't need it. But there are other reasons too. And there are times when there's tension in the respiratory muscles and in the body in general which is in a certain sense restricting uh, the ability of the body to to breathe easily and uh, as deeply as it would like. In that kind of a case, what can sometimes happen is when breath practices are done, which force an opening into the body using, say, a lot of tension, a lot of push to kind of open and, and get, get a deep breath, uh, one's reinforcing in a certain sense or doubling down on uh, that tension, contributing maybe even to that kind of tension. So sometimes it's necessary to learn to relax that tension um, prior to engaging in these more sort of forceful practices. Otherwise, otherwise one runs the risk of, of simply masking uh, the cause of the restricted breathing temporarily, whilst at the same time uh, reinforcing the cause uh, by adding tension upon, uh, upon tension. So yes, often, I think you're pointing to there in these, in these certain practices of sexual yoga, often people will go straight away to the doing part, the mechanical part, uh, the locks and uh, etc and the, and the holes of various kinds and that's fine and that's fine and good but if one hasn't in a certain sense prepared the body made the body conductive and and uh, open and relaxed habitual tension secondary tension patterns and so on then it's a bit it can be a bit like driving with the handbrake on basically it can be a little like that yeah 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 and that is what i was talking about and that's very much true when people go into sexual yoga practice particularly one of the ways that we see it a lot, of course, is when people start 
uh, clenching the pelvic floor and tensing the perineum and you know doing all these things to direct energy uh, away from orgasm or towards orgasm. And with that, they are reinforcing tension and often trauma patterns that are already in the body. A lot of people are chronically pulled up in their tension in their pelvic floor, men and women alike, right? And they are chronically um, overworked in those areas. And then if you do kegels or if you do very specific um, locks in the body for sexual yoga or also for you know regular yoga, you're often just uh, exacerbating a condition. And while you might have a temporary result, it's not advisable in the long run. So that's why I think working with these locks passively by giving the body a chance to regulate itself and learning to trust the natural ability, the natural genius of the body and working with relaxation rather than with tension is uh, much more sustainable. And it's also much easier, which is something that I'm really quite um, insistent on in, in any time, you know, I work with women on, on sexual pleasure because um, as, you know, as we age and as we go through a very stressful life, uh, pelvic floor health, right, and understanding the muscles and understanding the energetics and the locks and all of that in the pelvic floor really makes or breaks a lot of different areas of life, not just full body orgasms, but also, you know, your sexual health, your ability um, to age well, um, the way you have intercourse, you know, the, there's all kinds of things that play into that because that entire domain is an energy body in itself. And so I would say um, as much as possible, there has to be a first understanding and knowledge of that area and exploration and then relaxation and really understanding what influences what and you know there's all these layers in the pelvic floor that when you understand what's actually happening just by knowing that um, your pleasure potential uh, is just enormous suddenly and uh, that's not even talking about vaginal versus you know clitoral or things like that we're just talking the the pool of energy and blood and sensation in the pelvic floor that can be explored so I think it's really advisable to first uh, learn about the area and find out where's tension patterns, where might be injury, where's weak spots and things of that nature and really engage with the era, area as a you know area of huge potential and not start by clenching or working with locks as a as a beginning stage, but really go kind of on an exploration and a fact-finding mission of what is actually needed before applying rote technique. So that's where I would start. And that's where we always uh, suggest somebody starts is exploration, uh, a fact-finding mission, a getting to know one's own body, developing trust in one's own body before forcing certain things or um, using technique that isn't grounded in proper preparation. What advice would you have perhaps to end for somebody who wants to embark on that exploratory journey? So if somebody listens to this and has never engaged with that entire area, I think it's a twofold approach. 
Um, and the first one is to become aware of the tension patterns in the lower body and to explore, you know, the lower body and the pelvic floor as an area of, you know, just huge potential and an area of huge uh, um, potential sensual and sexual uh, availability. And so how to do that first is, we, you know, anybody can do that exactly where they are uh, when listening to this is to really feel in that area and notice if there's areas of tension, areas of clench, uh, is there pain? Is there numbness? Maybe you can't feel anything or is it very alive? So, and that area is roughly right between, let's say the, 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 the um, hip bones, the pubic bone, and then all the way back to the, you know, to the sacrum and the entire kind of muscular area in between. So the pelvic bone. And then of course, there's the sex organs and, um, the sphincter of the anus and things like that, also the large muscles of the buttocks and the thighs, all that area can hold tension or not. And just playing with that is quite interesting. Also quite interesting is isolating, clenching and releasing. So I, you know, just clenching both thighs and then releasing them, clenching both buttocks and releasing them. When you do that, you'll know I'm doing it as we're speaking, right? You can feel your whole body pulls up and then relaxing that and then um, isolating the perineum and then, you know, isolating um, different um, areas within the sex organs. So there's a lot that can be done just without ever even touching oneself. And then when we walk or when we are actually um, engaged sexually, self-pleasure or with somebody else, noticing areas that feel numb or tight, that feel closed, painful or open and, and really, you know, um, uh, conductive and really mapping that area. I think it's also really important. And finally, there is... Um, it didn't, you barely ever could find good depictions of the pelvic floor, but now the anatomy books have that and you can also find it you know, online to really look at where those layers of the pelvic floor attach to the certain bones and things like that. Because when you understand how it all hangs together, it's really fascinating and it's super useful. The way the uterus is held within that system, for instance, right? Where where the ovaries sit, how the sacrum, when somebody has a, you know, like a painful period, what happens, how that's all connected. Uh, when you understand that, then engagements like using a sex toy or a wand, or um, even, you know, some people go and have their pelvic floor worked on by a physical therapist or, you know, somebody who's specialized in that. Uh, anybody who is really good at that, by the way, will give somebody a, a really good education, right? And says, okay, press here. Can you feel how this connects to this bone or uh, press down on your pubic bone? What can you feel internally? So you really get sensitized to that area for sexual health, um, also empowerment, right? There's a huge empowerment in the sense that when you know what's happening down there, men and women alike, you don't have to listen to people who tell you something that's not entirely right or their agenda. And there's a lot of agenda in sexual health 
and in pleasure and even in the tantric domains. It's lots and lots of agenda and not a lot of, um, particularly in women's health, you know, you, you barely ever get the facts. You get this tinted information that's skewed medically or scientifically or spiritually or dogmatically or all of the above. So knowledge is in fact power and it's also the fuel and the the kind of the rocket fuel for the full body orgasm and the fuel for really having an alive sexual engagement with oneself and then hopefully with another in, in that way. So that's where I would start. And then also, of course, we'll maybe talk about this in the next episode, tools, sex toys, practices you can do to actually engage with the more sexual aspect, waking up, um, you know, the internal organs and the internal layers vaginally and, you know, and all of that. So that's, I think, uh, the next, that should be our next conversation. Oh, excellent. Well, that was very interesting indeed. Thank you, Michaela. Thank you, Steve.